Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. Seek your kingdom first We hunger and we thirst Refuse to waste our lives For you're our joy and prize To see the captive hearts released The hurt, the sick, the poor at peace We lay down our lives for heaven's course We are your church we pray revive this earth build your kingdom here let the darkness fear show your mighty hand heal our streets Change the 
Amen. Good morning. Beautiful fall morning today. Uh, for the prayer list today, you can be turning to page uh, 631. 631 in the church Bibles. It'll be a psalm. Um, Joe has a co-worker. Their family lost a 21-year-old. Uh, he thinks their son, uh, as far as he knows. And we would need to lift that family up. We know them as the uh, Casey and Chrissy Jones family. We need to lift them up in this uh, difficult time. Remember Olga and her family. I think they're still trying to fight off the respiratory stuff as well as Linda. Uh, we hear she's dealing with that stuff too. And we're going to keep uh, Lee Martin in our prayers. This Friday he'll be in his surgery. Um, <clears throat> so we'll keep him and his family lifted high. And Martin Placentia, we continue to pray the Lord will work there, you know, whatever his will is. Uh, after I encourage anyone who didn't get to hear the teaching Friday night, uh, the Lord just, even Friday night before I got home, the Lord brought this scripture to mind for me, Psalm 23, which is by no accident written by David, who was the one who went to the valley to slay a giant with the Lord's help. The whole time, if you read back in 1 Samuel 17, the whole time David is talking to his cohorts, the army, the Israeli, Israel army, it's all about God. God helped him slay the lamb, help him slay the bear. He surely will help us slay this man as it come against God's army. And so David was all about what God could do. And I just see that so clearly in Psalm 23, as this is a psalm of David, as it's noted in our Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. <clears throat> he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Bless the Lord for his word. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we first want to thank you for the work of your spirit and the way you allow us to learn more about the words that you have given us uh, in your perfect word. And, Lord, what we can glean from that and the encouragement we can glean from that, that against all odds, a young man um, like David could be confident enough in the faith he has in his God to face an enemy uh, that's so big when all others around him were running scared. So, Lord, we pray for that kind of strength. We pray for a faith that deep uh, as we go through each day in the world you put us in. We walk in the same places many times during our week. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us that faith, Lord, that is so strong and that confidence that comes from walking with you in your shadow. So, Father, we bless you. We do lift up these that we've mentioned, Lord. I pray, God, that you would work in every situation. Lord, this family who's lost a young man and their family, Lord Jesus, we don't know the situation, but, God, we know who you are. And that's why we cry out to you, to give them comfort and peace and strength. And, Lord, in this difficult time, Lord, that you and your name 
could be lifted up uh, in this darkness, in this difficult, difficult, dark time in their lives. Lord, we bless you. We thank you for all of our members, and we pray for those not here with us. And, Father, we pray that this sickness, Lord, would subside to you, um, that, Lord, you would give them strength, you would give them healing, so they could return to join us uh, in the weeks to come. And we just pray for these that are uh, facing surgeries and difficult times ahead. God, we lift them up that you, we know we have doctors in this earth, but God, we pray that you'd be the one that'd work out your perfect will in every situation. And you would even guide their hands and their thoughts uh, as they attend to these that are coming up with surgeries or treatments of any kind. We keep uh, remembering Raul Jr. as well, uh, Lord, um, that you would just continue to work with him as he goes through his treatments. So we bless you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. And, Lord, we just come before you humbled at the picture we see in the heart of David. You would help us come uh, with that kind of a faith, Lord, today as we seek you and as we trust you for all things. Bless you. Bless those uh, words that you're teaching today. And, uh, Lord, I pray over Daniel, Lord, that you would bless him as he comes and delivers your word, that you would clearly lead every thought and every word that he would give us today from you. In your holy name, we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.
darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, you grace so free washes over. You are 
Christ will hold me fast Justice has been satisfied He will hold me fast Raised with Him to endless life He will hold me fast Till our faith is turned to
Well, good morning. It is awesome to be with y'all today. For several weeks now, seven weeks to the day yesterday, uh, there has been great turmoil in my life. Uh, this turmoil has been self-inflicted, but at the same time, the incredible goodness of the Lord. And as I thought about how to put this, I struggled to find kind of the word to describe these things. But at the center of this turmoil are two things. The first has been my work, and the second has been my spirits. My work, which continues to be an incredible source of testimony. Because God has provided for my family, he has used my workplace as a context to show me my spirits and places of darkness. And he's given me favor. He has allowed relationships and opportunities that are only his grace. But my work seems to present challenges that my flesh has grown weary of again and again and where I have wanted to escape. The second is my spirits. And during the last four years that I have been in my current workplace, the Lord has set me free from many spirits, from pride, from fear, from control, from selfishness, and others. And I have seen incredible fruit from these places, and I am no doubt a different person than I was. While I've been delivered from these places, the enemy continues to try and pull me back with great strategy. So I'll tell you that I've gone back into fear, into pride, into control, and into selfishness. Not to the degree that I was controlled before, but I have made choices to be influenced not by the Holy Spirit, but by the enemy who seeks to use these places for my destruction and to pull me from God's purpose. So between these familiar spirits and between this workplace that seems challenging, Satan has been running amok. So I'd like to share with you some places today that ultimately the Lord has used these conditions to bring about deliverance from this spiritual chaos. So turn with me first to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, if you're in the church's Bible, on page 1416. Here in Revelation 12 is a description of a battle happening in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm, between the enemy called the devil, Satan, along with his workers, and between God's archangel, Michael, and other angels. So let's read together verses 7 through 12. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor 
was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with them. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. So this passage here in Revelation has significance that are far greater than today. Spiritual significance for the eternal understanding that is present. But I want to share with you what the Lord has shown me for today, for here, and for now. The first is that we must recognize that this war exists in the spiritual realm. We talk about this often, and we are talking about this on Friday nights and understanding this, this war that exists, these two influences. Simply put, this is between good and evil. Those who are good are called according to his purpose. The archangel Michael and other angels under his command that serve the Most High God. Those who are evil oppose God's purpose known here as the great dragon as the devil as satan and his job is to deceive the whole world the battle is ongoing and eternal and it will not end until jesus returns once and for all and conquers the enemy so the word battle that we often use is not about us and it's not happening here on earth it is happening in the spiritual realm. Our involvement, though, is to recognize which side we're on. Not who we want to win, not what we want to happen or how we want things turned out, but who we are aligned with. And if you've heard Deborah's messages, not just listen to them, but if you've heard Deborah's messages, which kingdom we're being influenced by. There's not a description of three things going on in this battle. There are two parties. This passage describes this ongoing spiritual war, and it prophesies of a day when it will be ended, when this accuser will be cast out of this battle forever because it will be over. Let's read verse 10 again. To understand what will happen on this day. This is John and he says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. We imagine a lot of things accomplished when Jesus returns once and for all and when the enemy is finally destroyed. But what John describes is different than what we might imagine. He, he says a lot of great things like salvation and strength and the kingdom of God, the power of Christ. But what these things are coming for is for the accuser. 
the accuser of our brethren, which is us. This is the function, if you will. As we've been talking about these these spiritual beings, Elohim, all having a function, this is the function of our enemy. It is to accuse us. Satan's job is to accuse us both what is true for places where we are in sin, where we are out of alignment, where we have broken God's law, and to accuse us of what isn't. He uses lies and deception to distract us so that in either case, he can have authority. The accuser is like a legal proponent, bringing a claim against someone. That is his job, so when he brings this claim, he can have authority. One day he'll be cast down, as verse 10 says, but for now, he is running amok. Verse 11 tells us that they, meaning God's people, they overcame the enemy in three ways. First, by the blood of the Lamb, and we understand this well because Jesus' blood is the Passover lamb, and through this blood we have the opportunity for salvation. We often rely on this first idea as our our get-out-of-jail-free card, so to speak. But they overcame this enemy in two more ways. By the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony overcomes Satan's accusations. It's not just saying good things that saves us, or overcomes our circumstances. It means both knowing and remembering what God has done and what he has promised. This will allow us to overcome Satan's deception. And third, John says, by by not loving their lives unto death. Not loving our lives unto death unto death will overcome Satan's destruction. John uses the word here for love, agape. And this has brought about a new understanding for me of what this word means to not love in a conditional way, love based upon circumstances. It is a decision-based love. It's a choice not to love our lives most. John says, by not clinging to what we want in our lives, by not clinging to our lives but God, Satan is no real threat and God can bring about victory. On Friday night after the message, as most of you were here, I was crying out. I was in quite a stir to say that I wanted out of the things that I was in. I have been trying to the best of my ability to muster my way out of this darkness. And after going back and forth, Deborah told me that I needed a word from the Lord. It wouldn't be until I, 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 I not only heard this word, but receive this word that I could leave these places. And I'm so grateful to say that the next morning that the Lord gave me a word, and I'd like to share this with you. So turn with me to John chapter 14, the church's Bible, page 1241. John chapter 14. 
we studied this passage a few months ago. And it describes here in John 14, the night prior to Jesus' crucifixion, after the Passover meal where Jesus has shares much with his disciples, he's telling them that he is going away and that there is a purpose in it. So we'll read together just verses 1 and 2. Jesus says in John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. This is the word that the Lord gave me yesterday, that he goes to prepare a place for me. And with a superficial, a superficial reading, um, this would make it seem like God is, is making a way of escape for me, like all of my problems are simply going to go away. But you'll remember that when we studied this passage a few months ago, that this word for place that's often connected with a mansion in heaven, a place with great doors and windows and fixtures of gold doesn't mean a mansion at all. It means a place setting at the table. It means an opportunity. It means a place that you have been welcomed and invited, but a place that has been made specifically for you. So when Jesus told the disciples that he was going to prepare a place for him, for them, he was telling them that unless he did this, they would have no right they would have no place eternally in heaven with him. The Lord has made it clear to me equally that this applies to my work and to my spirits, that he alone can be at work for my deliverance and his purpose. For me, he's saying he is the only one who can make things happen if I would just choose him. If I would choose him first, and not my life first. In terms of my work, there is no favor or opportunity unless the Lord provides it. In terms of my spirits, there, are no, there is no freedom unless it is the Lord who is accomplishing it. See, I've been striving in these situations only to grow more frustrated and bound, only to become in fear and depression for what I've been unable to accomplish and because things have not been working out the way that I've wanted them. That is until this word. I am no longer bound by either of these places, but this is because of this word, this testimony. See, Deborah knew exactly what the Lord had told her, that I needed not just to want out, but I needed a word, and I needed a testimony. With this testimony, I've left the worry about my work and my spirits completely. With this testimony, I can overcome Satan's accusations. That's what they are now. They are vain accusations because I am not where I was. With this testimony, I can remember what God has done and what God has promised, and I can come against the deceptions of the enemy. With this testimony, I can agree with what Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 1, that my heart will not be troubled because I believe in God and I believe in Jesus also and the things that he has promised. For these reasons, I get to share with you the good news of what the Lord has done today. 
So I want to turn to another passage in Scripture, and that is in Philippians chapter 1. So if you would turn with me there on page 1349, Philippians chapter 1. We began studying in Philippians several weeks ago, and we have, we have taken a pause to study the Lord's Feast and some other things. Um, but we'll come back here tonight, today, and we'll begin to study here again. So we'll read, uh, we'll pick up where we left off a few weeks ago. In chapter 1, verse 27, we'll read through verse 30. Paul says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition. But to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. So all week I have been reading this passage. In fact, for the last two weeks I've been studying just these few verses and I've not made it past them. But in my previous state, I could not put these things all together. I was grasping but I could not grab a hold of them I was squinting spiritually but I could not bring them all into focus but I'm excited to share with you now what the Lord has been able to show me in this new spiritual place in a nutshell Paul tells us really three things in these few verses in verse 27 he says that we are to be eternally minded In verse 28, he says that we're not to be terrified by the enemy. And in verse 29, he says that we are to be grateful to suffer for his sake. You can see why these verses have been troubling to me this week. Because I've not been eternally minded. I've been selfish and I've been thinking of my own circumstances. I've been completely terrified of the enemy that I'd never escape where I've been. And finally, I've not been grateful for all of this. In fact, I've been completely frustrated by this suffering, it would seem, by these circumstances. So verse 27 has a lot of richness. Paul is telling the Philippians, as I've said, to be eternally minded. And that being eternally minded is the only way to be. His first word of this statement is only. He begins this understanding to say, this is the only acceptable way to live. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This phrase, let your conduct, may be in your your translations something about citizenship or having conversation or the manner in which you live. And this word is a politically charged 
statement about one's citizenship or identity. It's used only twice in the New Testament, both times by Paul. The other time it's used in Acts to describe Paul's Roman citizenship. Here it has the opposite intention. Paul uses this word that they would have associated as their identity as Romans in Philippi or as being good citizens, being good community members, instead to say that their identity and their attitude should be eternally focused. It means that they're to prioritize their spiritual citizenship over their earthly attitude. Our actions, our conduct, our attitude should be consistent with being citizens in Christ's kingdom only. We are to figure out, we're not to figure out, how to make our Roman American values work with God's kingdom. But the opposite is true. That our citizenship in Christ's kingdom is to influence our earthly ideals, our earthly attitude. Paul's not saying that they shouldn't take part in the community, that they shouldn't vote, but that those things are to be influenced by who they have been called to be in Christ, and that the way that they live their lives is to be worthy of the gospel message alone. Not in a sense of a standard, but an identity. Not because they have a reputation to uphold, but because their spiritual constitution is the only influence for their actions and thoughts and attitude. He goes on to say that whether he's with them in person or hears about them, their lives are to be spiritually intertwined together as a believing community. That they are to stand fast together with the same attitude together for the gospel. Verse 28 is just an incredible explanation. He says that they're, if they're living with this eternal mindset, and this is the only way that verse 28 can be true. If they're living with this eternal mindset, if they have forfeited this earth and earthly attitudes, then they won't be terrified by their adversaries. Now, I do think there are some very real physical things going on in Philippi. They are a city steeped in Roman tradition. They are a city that strongly opposes Jews and Christians alike. They are a place that strongly opposes anyone who won't conform to their way of living. And these are physical things that are going on. However, I think that based upon what Paul is saying about being eternally minded, he's drawing them into a spiritual reality that is far more powerful. It's Paul that says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and the spiritual enemies of God. So of course then, if we're to be spiritually minded, standing fast in the gospel, our spiritual enemies should not terrify us. Now let's talk about what terrified means because it's easy to say that we're not terrified, isn't it? It's easy to say that we're not afraid. It's easy to say that we have a steady hand against enemies that are physical and spiritual while being influenced otherwise. This word that Paul uses here for terrified or frightened is only used this one time in the New Testament. 
That's important because the other word that we would typically understand as to be afraid or to be uh, fearful or to be terrified is the word phobia. It's a word that we use in English all the time to be, uh, you know, afraid of spiders or uh, claustrophobic, to be afraid of small confined spaces. But that's not what Paul's talking about at all. Instead, this is the word paturo, which means to scatter. It imagines a stampede of startled horses or a flock of scattering birds. What Paul is saying is less about a feeling of fear and more the result of it. It is scattering from God's purpose. He urges them to have the same boldness that he has that we would not be scattered by the enemy. He explains that if we're not terrified by the enemy, it is proof to both parties. It is evidence to the enemy of their failure. And it's evidence to the Philippians and to us of God's deliverance. If you'd like a title for your message today, it's rooted here in verse 28. Proof of salvation. Paul says this in verse 28, he says, And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you proof of salvation. This is not proof as in just an explanation, it is proof as in evidence. For us, our salvation should be proved by the fact that we are not scattered by the accuser, by the enemy, who whispers and yells lies and deception and hurls insults for those to be drawn away into his influence. The verses 23, excuse me, 29 and 30 have been incredibly eye-opening to me. Let's read them together. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear in me. I've always been a little nervous when I hear people make the comparison of suffering described in the New Testament to experiences that we might have today. Paul and even the Philippians experienced actual suffering. In Acts 16, we can read about the founding of this Philippian church Paul and Silas were starting the church in Philippi and they were stripped and beaten and thrown into jail because of their ministry. That's suffering. While our circumstances may not be a one-for-one one of Paul's circumstances, they're not irrelevant. What the Lord has shown me is that while physically it may not be the same for the circumstances that I am undergoing or you are undergoing. And the circumstances that Paul is in, spiritually, they are the same. The enemy is aiming to destroy us. And at the same time, God is purposing to save us. See, while we may not be being flogged and beaten and thrown into prison, the enemy's goal is the same. It is for our destruction. It is to pull us from God's purpose in our lives 
and to put us in his purpose. Paul is reminding them of what he said back in Philippians 1.12, that what has happened to him has actually been for the best. That being in prison, that being off of his journey, so it would seem, is for the sake of the gospel. And for that sake, the gospel has grown stronger and stronger. In verse 19, he says that he knows that these things will turn out for his deliverance. Whether he dies in prison and gets to see Jesus, or he remains in prison and gets to continue his ministry. It's the same message. That those things may seem hopeless, that though the enemy is definitely working for Paul's destruction and our destruction, if he and they and we remain of this attitude as citizens of Christ's kingdom, of this mind and of the purpose of the gospel, it will be the enemy's loss and our salvation. Salvation is not a one-time thing. It is an ongoing thing. If this battle is ongoing, so must our salvation be. For weeks I have been, I've been doing what many would call battling. I've wanted to, I've not wanted to remain where I have been, but I've been trying to get spiritually free by my own strength, which is almost comical. It would seem right that I'm trying to align spiritually with the Lord, but I'm doing it on my own strength. The problem, though, is that there has been a battle raging in the spiritual realm, and the forces have been fighting, but they have appeared to me as flesh and blood, not as spiritual foes in the spiritual realm. And unfortunately, I've been influenced by the accuser, Satan. And ultimately, I've been giving him authority again and again and again. This scripture in Revelation 12 about them, about believers overcoming because of the power of their testimony, I confess I have never been able to truly appreciate this place. That's because I understood, I misunderstood the purpose of the testimony. The purpose of the testimony is not that we would simply share with others what has been done. We hear lots of people sharing what God has done in their lives. The purpose of God's testimony is that we're able to stand against the enemy with God's own word. This is what Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan and he opposed the enemy, the accuser, the deceiver with God's own word. Praise the Lord that yesterday I received my testimony and I will no longer remain in these places. But this being proof to the enemy that I am no longer scattered from the Lord's purpose and proof to me of God's salvation. I'd like to share with you one last scripture if you turn with me to Genesis 19 on page 19.
Genesis 19. The Lord gave me this scripture earlier this week, and I wanted to see this, but I didn't. Here in Genesis 19 is the story of Lot, Abraham's nephew, and Lot was a man who'd made a series of poor decisions, both physically and spiritually, and had drifted far from the things of the Lord. God resolved to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and a number of other cities who had given themselves over to complete evil, and God had had enough of it. But in his incredible goodness, God sent two angels to the city of Sodom to rescue Lot from this destruction. We'll read just verse 17 of chapter 19. So it came to pass when they, they being the angels, um, actually, this, the, the angels are being brought outside. Let me start over. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside, the angels, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. This is the heart of the Lord. This is the heart of the Lord when we have wandered, when we have been deceived, when we have been influenced by the enemy. That God would show us that where we are, the enemy wants to use for our complete and total destruction. That we would escape for our lives. That we would not look behind us and where we have left, but we would only look towards where the Lord is taking us, that we would be saved. I pray that if there is any place that we are in today that the Lord has been showing us or working for us, that we would not stay where we are, that we would turn to where the Lord is drawing us to be. With this great word, Lot left. We read on that it it wasn't even without a battle. In fact, the angels had to drag Lot from that place, but he went. Lot's nephew stayed there and was destroyed. Lot's wife turned back towards that city and was turned into a pillar of salt. But this is the story of salvation. This is the heart of God from the beginning of time, that he would use the conditions that we have set up, that we have made, that we have aligned with, and that he would draw us back to his influence. Amen.
Let my heart be known. 
Search me and know me. 